Hello and welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell. Today we chat about Canada's women versus the Netherlands, Canada's men versus Mexico. The next step for VAR is the one, I don't know, the Gold Cup, uh, the Women's VAR Cup, because that's basically what we should call it. Two more years of matter at Manchester United, more transfer gossip, and uh, lots to get into today with the summer tournaments. Shawnee, how are you? Doing good. good. Feeling a little bit under the weather, but you know, yeah, we'll that, push through. Is that like... Um, Post hangover from the Raptors parade, or oh, I'm sure all of the alcohol has pushed <laughs> this sickness to now. Yes. I'm gonna say it's definitely <laughs> contributed, but we're all at the Raptors parade. It was a good week in the city of Toronto, right? Amazing, amazing, amazing to see that many people in the streets, wasn't it? Oh, it was incredible. Where were you guys in the? Um, I'm. I was at the. Uh, I felt like I made an intelligent decision. So we got up early and we were at the Princess Gates. Yeah. By uh, uh, eight eight a.m. Uh, since then, uh, my son's baseball team were absolutely dumbfounded that one, he got a champion's hat already and two, that we went to the parade and we're back home in our living room by one o'clock watching it. They're like, how did you get down there? I'm like, we drove. How did you get back? I'm like, we, 30 minutes at 12.30 in the afternoon was easy to get out of the sea. So we did a decent job, but you, you were right. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a periphery kind of guy. <laughs> Stephen Caldwell is right in the middle kind of guy. And you were right there. Yeah, we, we went right down to Nathan Phillips Square. And when we got there, I guess it was about 10 a.m. It was absolute pandemonium. You couldn't move. It was, a, it was actually quite scary. You, you know, I've been in part of a lot of crowds through yeah. watching football games and, and being at Hamden and um, Old Trafford, wherever, all these stadiums for 80,000. But uh, there was so many people, KJ, you kind of got stuck in a little area and it was it was a little bit scary, a little bit dangerous. I had my two lads, Will and Robbie, with me who are 11 and 12. And so it was it was weird, but we had to go all the way around and a buddy of mine had a hotel in the, the Sheraton, which is overlooks Nathan Phillips Square. So we watched the majority of it from you there. You literally had friends in high places. Yeah, really did. <laughs> yeah. So it was great watching it from there, but we waited two hours and nothing was happening. It was not getting anywhere closer to where we were. So we just hot-footed it back. We got back and watched most of the parade at home, but nice. I'm, I'm glad they experienced it, but... Yeah, I think next time, hopefully, when the more championships come through, the Leafs or the Raptors, I, I hope that we're yeah, next a year, wee bit more prepared. Next year, when they completely win it again, maybe they'll have a, be- they'll have a better parade, right, Shawnee? Fing- fingers more. crossed. I was nine hours in the same position. For you? Oh, from, yeah, nine, you, 8.30, Sean? 9 o'clock, right behind the Toronto sign. Okay. So right in the thick of it. And yeah, I got there around 8.30, 9 o'clock, and I didn't leave until 3.30. Wow. So I didn't, yeah. Did you good? The washroom at all? Or? No, I. So here's good, good idea. Slash Sorry, we are going to talk about football. Right? This, this is just very important. Good idea, bad ideas. Yeah. Good idea. I just woke up and went straight there without drinking, eating, doing anything. So my body was completely empty. Right. Bad idea. But at the same point, it was fine. But I was also shaded, so I didn't really need water that much. Okay. But I also couldn't really after a couple hours and with no like beers on me, I didn't feel cel- in a celebratory mood. So yeah. I just got really grumpy. Stuck in angry. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. So anyway. Fun times. So that's a marathon, <laughs> by the way. That is a real marathon. Do we know any numbers? How many people were actually there? A couple uh, of million? Uh, at least Must have been. Yeah, it was crazy crowds. It's to be a couple of million. Um, it's been a wild week. A wild week on the pitch. Wild week in the, in Toronto. Um, a wild match between Scotland and Argentina, oh. by the way. Sorry, I have to start here, Stevie. Um, <sighs> before we came on, and I've said this to you before, your home nation, Scotland, in any sport, they are the world champions at spectacular, spectacular <laughs> failures. They are the world champions at teasing you that it just might happen. European qualifiers, World Cup qualifiers, rugby games against Australia, doesn't matter. Six Nations games against England. They are the best at the nation of teasing you that it might just happen and then taking it away from you. 
Um, take us through your family's emotions as uh, this is probably going to lead to a chat about VAR very soon as well. Yeah, so we were out and about, which was because um, it was my my uh, youngest son, Robbie's birthday. So, you know, we weren't really in for the match, but we get in, I think it was 2-0 when we got in. We certainly seen the third goal and we were elated. We couldn't, I think maybe it was 1-0 actually. But anyway, we get in, they're in the lead. Okay, this is, this is good, this is exciting. 2-0, 3-0, we're on the ceiling, we can't believe it. I'm a little bit tired, I've been up early, Sean, never had a great night's sleep, so, you know, I have a little snooze, it's done, we're through, this is amazing. You're like seven hours away from yeah, calling a Gold Cup, Gold Cup game. Of course, <laughs> I'm thinking about the night time work, but, so I have a little snooze on the couch, the game's in the background, my dad's watching it next to me, he's over from Scotland for a few days, and um, the lads are jumping in and out and I wake up and it's 3-2 and I'm like oh well maybe I should stir myself a little bit here and, and never fall asleep when the Scots are winning 3-0 <laughs> and I was I was most certainly awake although it did feel like a nightmare for the, the, the whole shenanigans it's only the word that I can think to describe it that happened for the Argentine third goal it was oh KJ come on what's it was going on mate? shambolic what's wasn't going it? on it was a penalty of course, right. it was the right decision, in my opinion, that to, to award the penalty. But how can you bring out a rule where the goalkeepers... We know that it's a rule, but it's a very flimsy rule. And now you're going to just be to the letter, your VR to check if any part of the foot's on the line. How can you roll that out during yeah, so, a World so Cup? So quickly, for those who weren't aware, who didn't see it, for the third time already... Third time already yes. in the FIFA Women's World Cup, uh, a goalkeeper was penalised for not having one foot on the line yeah. during a penalty kick. Yeah. Third time already. And and that's basically what happened. They, the penalty was missed, ordered to be retaken. Yeah. In typical Scottish fashion, the Argentine <laughs> girl scored the goal, 3-3, and knocked Scotland and out of the World Cup. she tried so hard to stay on her line, though, didn't she? She did. You know, like, you, the, the first one or two, well, maybe so, that, you know, they thought, they could get away with it. But now these girls understand that they need to be in their line. They're trying so hard. It's almost impossible to save a penalty kick if you need to have your feet in the line. I'm, I'm very interested to see some of the techniques that are going to come up as this is is going to roll through the women's and the men's game because I'm, I'm sure the Edersons, the Alison Beckers, the Neuers of the world are going to have really some unique ways of arriving on that line. And I say arriving because I think they're going to start from in the goal and they're going to rush out and try and time it. When if they, they allow them to do that, because you're actually supposed to be on the line. Okay. So, I mean, you might be right. Like one foot, maybe they'd be like to like, do a little like dash. Like right now I'm... Yeah. Uh, we're going Jump to, out. Yeah. Like right now I'm, I'm coaching third base, my son's baseball team. <laughs> and so I, I teach them like to let one foot off the line, like yeah. get ready in that sprinting yeah, yeah, position. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they'll be like, maybe like that. We'll ready do that. Uh, did you see the breaking news today that the Premier League has said that they will not be enforcing the law? Good. So they said that VAR, because every individual... Um, lawmakers of, of the yeah. rules can, can implement them however they want. Okay. So just because they say that they say that they're going to leave that decision to the referee. So if the referee sees, you know, in the Premier Too League, much, Edison yeah. stepping off the line and basically running up to the go to the ball, he's going to go, no, that was my decision. But they're not going to allow it to go to VAR, which uh, one is very, I mean, we're just basically already blowing a hole in the idea of it anyway, it's just smart. Yeah. But second of all, in the first year of the Premier League adopting the VAR, it would just be utter madness if that started going in as, as well. Madness. I, I can't think of many penalties would be scored because, yeah. you know, we're gonna, the, the, the number of penalties given is going to ramp right up as, as VAR comes in. That's already happened. And then... Most of them are going to go in the back of the net. I, I can't imagine... It's harder and harder to any say. Any of these it. technicians, these guys, best players in the world from 12 yards... 
with the goalkeeper having to stay in that line, he could probably just mail it to where he's going to go and actually pass it into the corner. I don't know how he gets here unless he shuffles along the line. So uh, it's madness. And I really felt for Lee Alexander, the Scotland goalkeeper um, against Argentina. The, the save that she made was was brilliant. She tried so hard to stay in the line. It was a matter of, you know, inches that, that meant she was, her, I think it was a left foot that was off the line. And then she made a brilliant follow-up save. And it was just complete heartbreak. And what was the best game of the World Cup? Mm. Scintillating game. Two two exciting teams. Two teams that, that went out to try and um, win the game, of course, and, and, and get that third place. And it was, it was such a shame that... That, that VAR had such a big part to play. Then no added time. I no forgot time. about that bit. Yeah. You know, it took three and a half minutes of the four to get to the decision and she blew the whistle at, at about 95. There should have been another, at least another couple of minutes, three minutes of added time. It was a shambles. Yeah, it is a shambles. And this weekly chat about VAR, we need a sponsor really just to sponsor the VAR <laughs> segment because we're going to be talking about it every week. Uh, shout out to our... Uh, I think about that all shout week. Out to our mate, sponsor would be yeah, shout out to our mate Joe Ross, who's a loyal listener who texts text me after every single show and texts me after the show we did last week to saying, you and still Stevie still clinging on to VAR just about, <laughs> you'll come over to the dark side soon. This is a man who, when the very first the VAR happened in the Comfort Cup, sent to me a text message saying, the death of association football, 1800 to 2017. <laughs> VR has killed the sport. As I said in my reply to him, cracks are appearing right now, but <laughs> yeah. solid footing still. That was on June 11th. Since then, I'm not quite sure if I'm solid footed because <laughs> VAR continues to get yeah. on our nerves. And um, I want to say this, that I th- I'm a still a proponent of VAR if it is done in a thorough way and it is done with a consistent high threshold for clear and obvious errors. Yeah. That is when it needs to happen. However, the barn door is open now. And that is what is very concerning because once the threshold gets lower and lower and lower, then oh boy, oh boy, we're going to have utter, utter madness going on. And that's what's happening in every different, all around the world. Every interpretation of the sport is different. Every different tournament, we're watching Women's World Cups now. We've been watching the European leagues. We're, we're both watching Copa America. Gold Cup doesn't have it. And thankfully, actually, we're, yeah. actually, we're actually thankful of that. It's enjoyable, it's isn't it? It's actually enjoyable yeah. uh, because Copa America has been, in some regards, absolutely insufferable to Yeah, watch. yeah, it has. It really has. We thought that VAR would clarify the game and it's made it even murkier and it's made it slower and it's made it uh, mired in decisions and, 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 and rules and the the antiquated rules that, that we have within the game are, are now in question, a number of them and it's just created this this huge storm around it and, and that's what's disappointing for me. I was... I hoped and thought that the, the the introduction of VR would, would would make things clear, and it would mean that you know decisions weren't made that that that, that affected you know people's livelihoods and, and vast sums of money going to the clubs that absolutely deserved it. And now I just think that it's caused so much confusion, and we still have that same doubt. I just wish it was maybe a referee's decision or you know a linesman's. Um, Slight of eye that, that that missed the offside, or because now I feel like we still have that same amount of doubt. It just takes longer. It just takes away a lot of the the unbridled passion that we have in the game because we're now waiting on VAR. I call a lot of games in MLS and and, and Gold Cup with Canada national team. I'm scared to come in with, with my point because I'm trying to analyse all the things. I think there's going to be a VAR check in the MLS and, and, and I'm waiting to see and it's affecting the way that I'm doing my job. It's affecting the players there over to the referee. 
everybody's just got a sore taste in their mouth because of this thing and we need to get somewhere without KJ, don't we? And it's entertainment. I know. We're supposed to be entertained by this. This is what people lean on. This away. is not entertaining. And this is, is not it? entertaining no. for anybody. No. It's not entertaining for the rule makers. It's not entertaining for the players. It's not entertaining for the public who pay the tickets or watch them on television. It isn't. They've got it all wrong and it needs to stop yeah. quickly. And this is dangerous. It is. It's very dangerous. They need to understand, get all the lawmakers quickly to together get the powerful people together in a room and talk about thresholds it doesn't need to be scrapped we are two proponents of this we're not fanboys getting mad about things we no. are we've, we've spoke at length to big proponents of this lawmakers around the game but it should be testing decisions not making decisions no that's the key that test the, key. the decision not make it i don't want you to be, be for me they are belittling the official on the field right now yeah that official i've got tremendous amount of respect for one of the hardest Hardest sports, if not the hardest sport in the world, to referee. Yeah. Let and they are all, by the way, no, no matter what you think, they're all bloody good. Okay. Absolutely. They're outstanding professionals. We have respect for professionals at the level that they make for players and talent. We need to enhance respect for the official, everybody in the global game. And this isn't enhancing it, it's actually making it worse. Yeah. It's taking away their powers. It's going, ah, you didn't see that. We're gonna come in. It's the equivalent of everybody driving down the QEW, the, the highway we've got right here, where everyone knows it says a hundred kilometers an hour and everybody going over 101 getting home and getting a ticket and mm -hmm. saying oh we got a shot of you doing 101 you got fine yeah. <laughs> oh i didn't see that coming because that's the problem yeah we don't see it coming educated fans who are watching the games commentators people like us who are involved in the game when it comes in we go what i didn't see that coming why are they interfering for things that we didn't necessarily want or need yeah that's the concern it should be for overwhelming evidence to correct the clear and obvious like today's game canada given a penalty after a minute yeah. it's a clear and obvious error clear and obvious error took four minutes to decide that it was a clear yeah. obvious error that's another problem but Standing, the referee standing around holding her hand to, to the to the ear for two minutes when she could have run over to the screen in 12 seconds. Yeah. That's another problem as well. Um, but that's the thing for me is that the respect has got to go up for the official. And right now it's far too murky and they're making it worse and the respect for the officials getting lower and lower. Well, they're making it worse and, and, and it's because they're, they're bringing in these new regulations and you, you think about the one with the goalkeeper on the line, it's, you know... It, it, there's never been one goalkeeper that their foot was touching the line that saved a penalty in the last, I don't know how long, forever. Mm. Mm. So how can you bring that rule in? Maybe the one who Ali Adnan, the one that Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he fell, had a cup of tea, got up, then still caught it. He did, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah no, all goalies cheat a little bit, you know. And so to bring that out at a World Cup is just make a mockery of the whole thing and like I said, you're, you're, you're waiting with, with bated breath. You don't know what's going to happen. You, 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 it's took away that, that passion, that unbridled passion when you're just like cheering the goal. You're now going like, okay, I need to check. Was that, does that look onside? What is the referee doing? How are the players reacting? You're checking all these other things before you celebrate the goal. And then when you eventually go to celebrate the goal or call the goal or whatever it may be, whatever your role is within that game, uh, you know, you, it's been diminished because of that, that, that the rule making. I don't like it. I don't no. like the way that it's going. I, I still believe, like you, KJ, I still believe there is a place for VR. I just think that, that we're, we're, 
meddling in areas that are really, really dangerous at the moment, really dangerous to the game of soccer. Yeah, is it too much to ask for us that we want a system to put in place where if you give a penalty to a team in the World Cup that is clearly not a penalty, that it can be reviewed, that we can still have that yeah. without having all the other utter nonsense? Is that too much for us to ask? Figure it out. Get it sorted out pretty quickly. Uh, lots of people on Twitter talking about this today. Um, Sandra said the ref standing there for a long time is frustrating. You know, obviously the optics of that. I think the optics of for me is that even in MLS, and I've told Howard Webb this myself, sometimes in the clear and obvious, this taking forever and ever and ever, talking to the referee, and then having the referee run over and check it. Yeah. For me, the optically, I think they do that because they still want to make sure that that, for everybody else, is the man in, or the woman in charge. Of yeah. The, they make the clear-cut decision. But for me, I'm not asking the VAR to re-referee the game, but in clear, obvious decisions, when in the entire universe can see in 10 seconds that it's not a penalty, why do we have to go through all this Yeah. This, trite nonsense of this guy just running time. over to optically make sure that everyone knows oh well here's the man in charge or yeah. here's the woman in charge it's wasting time so that's got to go and I hope with time that will go I hope with time that with the system will place there'll be we maybe even need to everyone can hear the communication that the, if the VAR can say clear and obvious outside the penalty box you need to award a free kick yeah. now you yeah. know what I mean that's what I would say. Yeah, I think so as well. I'm, I'm just thinking back there to, we've been watching a lot of games lately yeah. across different platforms, but I was thinking to the, the Brazil goal against Venezuela the other night where- Well, they had three disallowed. Yeah. yeah. And it was, oh, I was worried for the ref. I didn't know I was going to get out of the yeah. stadium alive because of course the Copa America's in Brazil yeah. and he's disallowing Brazilian goals. But the one where um, Coutinho played it in the net and Firmino tries to get out of the way yeah. he's in an offside position he's no part of the play I think the ball's going in anyway correct me if I'm wrong but the ball's going into the back of the net it clips off his knee and goes into the net and then the decision's made that he's offside I couldn't believe it awful decision my favourite word pedantic it's like yep. uh, this This VR's making everything so pedantic everything so structured and that's not what this game is this game's about um passion and it's about um you know people with skill doing things that, that are memorable because it just comes so naturally to you we're turning it far too robotic for my liking on twitter andrea agrees with you she said they need to add more appropriate time back on in the extras it's not the players for how long var is and they're being penalized daniel said you got a team of refs reviewing it accept their judgment or go view it yourself not both um lots of comments there as well dan says he thinks the total length of these things is far too long as well black and white decisions are able to be made a lot quicker thanks for all your tweets coming in we appreciate it. In the game we mentioned, Canada lost to the Netherlands 2-1. They finished second in the group. Canada had started pretty well. They had a, the, the penalty obviously um, overturned and led to a Christine Sinclair free kick that hit the wall. But overall, the best team won. The, overall, the best yeah. team won the group. Netherlands get an easier pass, path. Uh, the game has just finished, so forgive us if it isn't the case, but we expect Canada to play Sweden as that game goes on later today um, in the next round. And now a very difficult path for them with the likely quarterfinal destination if they beat the Swedes with Germany. So overall... I mean, I think we both suggested at the start of the tournament, we, this is what we thought Canada would do, finish second in the group. Yeah. Um, but a bit disappointing going forward. And, and Claire Rust had made an interesting point on TSN where she felt that Canada was better without Christine Sinclair. <laughs> um, all, every credit for Claire for, for, yeah. for her honest analysis there. But interesting that uh, Kenna Hanamola took off Christine Sinclair as well. And Adriana yeah. Leon brought on, so I know we're going everywhere here, but she, yeah. she brought on some that kind of pace um, and fluidity that you need out of an impact sub. Yeah, she was excellent when she came on. I think that begs a question, you know, with Sinclair getting on a bit in years or lack of mobility, 
Um, it, it did look like it really freshened up the Canadian attack, bringing on Adriana Leon. Sorry, um, you know, if he's trying to manage her minutes, was this the game to manage their minutes? You know, they had two pretty comfortable victories in, in the first two games. Maybe she should have came off in them. I think there's an element uh, trying to get her to the record in this World Cup that probably came into play thinking there was more readily the opportunity to score goals in the, the first two games. But that should not come into the equation. This is a team game. Yeah. This should be about Christine Sinclair's an exceptional team player. So I'm sure she, she'd be embarrassed by that. Yeah, there's no way she would no, have accepted No way. So she just wants to be in the team. But they did look sharper and faster and a bit more dynamic when, when Leon was on. But not a great performance from Canada again. I thought they looked vulnerable defensively. Um, Buchanan got caught a little bit she's the most dominant defender for Canada and uh, she looked a little bit risky as well and Labby looked shaky on didn't the second she? goal yeah yeah, yeah. a couple of things I thought she looked a little bit shaky so um, Netherlands are a good side to me they're more of an outside better winning this World Cup than Canada mm. and I think that showed today yeah I agree with that yeah so Canada will play Sweden next in the end um, two wins and one loss from a tournament where I think most people would have expected them to win the first two games and, yep. and maybe it's gone as I said as we expected but they will have to be better you know tempo is a word that comes to mind I actually heard Andrea Neal a little bit on TSN radio use that word as well I know Claire Rostad has talked about that as well these, go these girls know the team and they were a bit disappointed that um, I won't use their word here but they, I, I felt they were a bit timid yeah. a little bit timid in terms of their play. Uh, Ken Animola said after the game that he felt that they were a little bit slow and ponderous a little bit in the first five, ten minutes to start the match. Yeah. I just wanted them to impose themselves, Stevie, a little bit more in, in a game. You know, that, that, I think that would have been more something I would like to have seen out of them a little bit more in their, their the dynam dynamicism. I try and say that five times. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Big decisions to be made with selection as well. Yeah. Is going to be brave? Well, he picked he Heidemann, didn't he? Today, yeah. Prince had a little bit of a knock. We're not sure if that was a tactical one or, or a rest for her. But yeah. the, well, uh, I think the Riviere, who's been excellent as well, I agree. you know, she brings a, a real dynamicism to the play. You can say it, yeah. Can he find a, <laughs> can he find a, a place in the team for her, you know? And uh, yeah, uh, a lot to ponder mm. for Kenneth. I think it's going to be a, a tough few days as, as the pressure really ramps up. It would be bitterly disappointing if if this team goes out in the last 16. That will not be a successful World Cup. So a lot to ponder. Does he go with the old tried and tested or does he try something a little bit different to just get a fresh spark into this 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 group? Yeah, I want to ask you quickly about Ashley Lawrence. Every game I watch her, I think she's one of the best players Excellent. for Canada. And sometimes I wonder whether she shouldn't be playing fullback. Yeah. You know, what about you? Fair point. Um, she was brilliant today in fullback. You know, yeah. Lika Martins is a very good player. She, she saw her off. She, she did. She, she was saw great her defensively. Yeah. She comes inside. She's, she's a big part of the game. She's shown her versatility, her ability to play anywhere, really. And, and I love how she's grabbing these games from right fullback. Yeah. She's pretty much the most dominant player for Canada. She's been... Excellent. Far and away, in my opinion, the best player for the Canadians at the World Cup so far. Mm. Um, I'm with you. you. You think maybe when you're looking for a spark in the forward areas, maybe we should try and push her up. And get She'd bring get her that speed, forward. that yeah. tempo, you know, yeah. that directness yeah. a little bit more to 
to go forward. You know, they've, they've got a lot of comfortable players. Scott had a good game again today. I thought it was a little bit harsh. She got took off. Fleming yeah. was quiet, but she was very good against New Zealand. They're all very similar type of profiles. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They're comfortable on the ball, pass, move, get into space. But, you know, that directness sometimes when you need to take a game by the scruff of the neck and go and attack yeah. and really take it. And, and fullbacks for the Netherlands are quite, that was quite the, the vulnerable area. I just felt maybe it was, I mean, they're not going to make that, they're not going to make that change now. I, no. I get it, but you know, it's something that I would like to see uh, play a little bit more further, further forward for Canada. That's yeah, I think so. I, th- I think her ability to dribble as well—it's it's a different profile from Jordan Hytema, isn't it? Mm. Who is more of a target type player, probably the heir apparent to Christine Sinclair's <laughs> throne, you would think. But she's trying to get some minutes. She's playing the wide area. Mm, I don't know if that really worked. So. Um, yeah, like I said, a lot to ponder. He's got a tough few days ahead win, of him. They've got to win. They've, They've got, got to win, win the, this next game, and it's not going to be easy. If, well, if it's US, it's going to be very, very difficult. But we expect it to be Sweden as we're recording at the moment, and um, and they won't be easy at all. No, they won't. It, it sets up a very tough quarterfinal if they indeed get through. The one thing I would say is that they do, for the majority of the moments of the game, they are they are pretty tight, and maybe that that tournament style of football yeah. which has been so good for them in the past they they find ways to win they, Comes in they in know the how to get stage, it, doesn't it really? yeah. so we'll keep an eye on that and next week's show which will be Wednesday following the TFC game at BMO Field we'll certainly have a recap on that and a recap of how things are going at the Gold Cup where Canada lost the men's team lost 3-1 in Denver, Colorado on Wednesday evening we did the game for TSN Lots to get into here. Yeah, Shawnee's going to be winding on the clock pretty quickly. So, uh, where do where do we start now? Maybe let's start at the very start. Yeah. So we'll go through the game chronologically. Maybe we won't last ninety minutes because we don't have the time. <laughs> but we'll start at the beginning, and the beginning has to start with the team selection. Yeah. Now we had a broadcast meeting with John Herman the day before. We were very aware of why he's done what he's done. I do want to say publicly that this has got nothing to do with the way we're going to analyze John Herman. But I want to say this. The man has been nothing but a gentleman with us so far with his time. Absolutely. We we are privileged to work with in this industry and talk to a number of coaches days in advance for MLS broadcasts, national team broadcasts. Some are very comfortable at sharing lineups. Some never share a lineup. Yep. John Herdman has been 100% with us right from the, right from the get-go. No doubt about it. And that's yeah. important to say. It is important to say he, he's been superb, KJ. He's been very open and engaging. A lot of that stuff doesn't make it for public consumption, but it certainly helps us as we prepare to, to try and do a broadcast. He's been been great with his lineups, trying to explain why he's reasoning for the future coming up again that might not make it on air, but it's something that, that is, yeah. is, because we, is critical for us, isn't it? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, because we try, then it is our job and our duty to try and convey that message of to course. those people watching home that we've heard. Now, we occasionally will put our own opinions in there and we don't have to necessarily agree with everything that he does. And John doesn't expect us to do that. And we've asked him and actually... Sometimes he enjoys it. It's being yeah. challenging. We had a good chat about Laren playing in that position and what he thought there and, and those things. So they're good conversations, but I think it's important for people listening that John has been very open right now. Um, and, and I think that's a man. The reason why I bring that up is because I think that's a confident man with a yeah. plan. Yeah, 
It's, yeah. he, he's got a plan. He's got an idea. He's, he is very, very adamant in his own ways about how things go, meticulous. Whether you agree with him or not, he's thought these through. He's not making decisions on a whim. And this 3 4 3, 5 4 1, call it whatever you want, was in the plans the moment that ball was drawn out behind yeah. closed doors <laughs> in a CONCACAF <laughs> draw that he got Mexico. Yeah. That was what he was going to do. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had this preconceived idea and he's spoken at length about his experience of tournament football and you can see he's in his element here isn't he when he, he talks to us when we see him and you know public interviews we saw him have his little spat with Tata Martino at the side which I loved as well loved that, yeah. he's not gonna you know whimper away in a corner he, he's got confidence John he's confidence and belief in how he prepares and how he does things and that confidence has really came across for me throughout this entire Gold Cup so far and he had a distinct plan a way that he wanted to play an idea that he felt was was the right thing to a show Mexico and a combat Mexico's qualities and, and, and strengths as a team now back to the, the the early part of the game did Canada stop Mexico from creating real opportunities and if let's, let's take 20 minutes 25 minutes at start yes did they concede too much possession to a quality Mexico side Yes, in my opinion. 100%. Were, were they too respectful towards an exceptional team, the best team in the tournament? Yes. I think they should have came out and been a wee bit more on the front foot, got that line up a little bit, pressure a touch higher, and and not allowed Mexico to settle into uh, a, a tactic, a way of playing that I think they were probably a little bit surprised with. Mm. I think they expected a wee bit more grit and, and, and sort of forward play from Canada. And so I think that they they actually relaxed because of that tactic. They went, okay, this is like like Cuba in terms of the style of play and like Martinique and like the other teams yeah, we're going did. to play. And it's about us being in a rhythm and finding a way to break them down. And I think that surprised them. And I, I, I think that was a, a, a wrong decision from John, a wrong decision from Canada. I think they should have... Gave, we, we used to say in the changing room a lot, go be the best version of yourselves. Go, go give them what they expect, you know? Yeah. The teams expect you to come at them. Go at them. Give them, don't disappoint, we used to say, don't disappoint them. Don't disappoint them. It was all a little quirky thing that we used to say. And I think in, in some sense, they, they, they sort of disappointed Mexico because they thought, oh, well, we were expecting someone else here. Now it's about us breaking you down. And when you give a team of that quality so much space and time and, 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 um, uh, method to go and build up the play and get in between the lines, get the space. Inevitably, there's going to be one or two times there's a mistake or they get in a good area or there's a moment of quality from one of their players and they hurt you and they go into the lead and then where do you go? And that's what I think happened last night. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think eventually the best team will always find your weakness. And and, and tactically, I tried to show this at half time, and you talked about it in commentary. I mean, Gallardo was... You know, Superb. fantastic. The left back for Mexico, best player on the field. Alvarado came deep. They created over, over, you know, overlaps in wide yeah. areas. Uh, Brogiard was quite often by himself because Laren was playing quite narrow. Yeah. And then, uh, ironically, John Herman recognised that and switched Davies with Laren in the second, yeah. in, uh, second part of uh, the first half. But what happens? The goal comes from the other side when Laren is now on that side. Yeah. Again, overlap in wide areas because Rodriguez on the right side was not quite Gallardo, but yeah. he's, he's a tremendous footballer as well. So. They lost out in those areas, but as you said, those I think were down to you know the tactics a little bit, but down to the fact that you know the the, the other team was just better. The 
formation was an interesting one because if he'd had gone with uh, 4-3-3 and played Russell Tybert and, and had played Will Johnson and Kyle Lahren in a different formation, then I think more people may have been on his side today. Mm-hmm. But a lot of discussions right now is why about why about the shape? And a lot of that has come down to because what has happened next. And what happens next is that Canada actually played okay. Hoyle, um, it's not Hoyle. Davies had a great chance at 1-0. 50 seconds later, down the other end, guy yeah. had, you know, magnificent finish. Yeah. And it's Guadado yeah. scored yeah. and it's 2-0. It's done. Uh, then we see a version of Canada against Mexico that we have not seen for... I don't know how long. Yeah. A very good version of Canada who played a shape that they were comfortable in with the majority of their best players on the field in a 4-3-3 and for 15 minutes were the far, by far the better team. Now, when we give that analysis, we also have to put the other ingredients into play. Mexico winning 2-0. Yeah. <laughs> Mexico are comfortable at yeah. that point. Canada are refreshed. They've got the best players on the field. And they've got nothing to lose. Yeah. So those are factors. I get that. Big team, yeah. But with the players on the field, they were not intimidated by Mexico and they went at them. Yeah. And those, I think, are the moments that John Herb and his coaching staff are going to be thinking a lot about going forward rather than the first 60 minutes. Yeah, and we saw people playing higher up. We saw people taking chances. Yes, you said in country. Yeah. Kay was very high very for midfield. Very high. He was like a second striker. Was, yeah. Our field at times as well was was that high as well. The the. the the second or the third midfielder was was supporting Cavallini. Cavallini, who had absolute scraps, nothing to work on for most of the game. The one uh, run in the left-hand channel and the, the, the double strike one was saved by Ochoa, the next one blocked. It was his only moment. And then when he got people around the bottom, he started to look like a player. But I think that <laughs> it may have been by design as well because he did tell us that the night before, John, where he was, he, he wanted to see the four three three at some point. Yeah. He expected that scenario to come up in the game where he, he wanted would, to test them against yeah, the best. He, he would change to that and he would go to that and 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 so maybe he has learned a great deal from this game. Well, he certainly learned a great deal from this game, but maybe a lot of it was by design to learn that about this game and and to hopefully get another crack at them in the the, the semi final because. The five didn't work. I, I don't think the key to beating this Mexico team is conceding space to them and mm-hmm. allowing them to just have their way in their own half in the build-up. I really don't believe that. I think the key to potentially beating this Mexico team is getting in their faces, creating pressure higher up. We see they can cough the ball up as well. Arojo had a, a disastrous error for the, the Cavallini goal. They are vulnerable in certain areas as well. When you ask them questions and, and, and you, you put pressure on them, you make them play in areas they're maybe not so comfortable in. So um, definitely going forward, the 4-3-3 is a way to play for this team in general play your players in the right positions. Mm. I would say you've got a, a, a adequate to average centre-half in Atiba Hutchinson and you've got a exceptional midfielder. Play him in midfield. Yeah. It has to play in the base of midfield. No disrespect to Sam Pierre, Anthony Kay, anybody else who, who could play in that area. Will Johnson. Atiba Hutchinson's your best player. Must play him in midfield. By a mile. Our field has to play every minute of the play. game. Yeah. Uh, you talked about Davies going over at the right-hand side to negate the, the, the threat of Gallardo. Davies is your best left-sided player, whether it be left fullback or left wing, that's open to debate, but he's best on the left-hand side. Play him on the left. Get your best players in the team in the right areas and have a go. That's what we want to see. If yeah. they get back there, have a go. If they lose 3-1, 3-0, 4-0, 
by having a go. I think we'll have seen progression. We'll have learned some things. Whereas if you just sit back against these guys, they're going to cut you apart. They're going to pick holes in you at some point anyway. Yeah, I agree. And we talked about that a little bit ourselves off camera, didn't we? Off mic. If you lose to Mexico in a semi-final uh, and 3-0, 4-1 and your weak links come to the fore and Brogiard gets torn apart or Daniil Henry and Cornelius have a mistake in them or yep. something, I think the majority of Canada fans will go, that's where we're at, yep. right? That's where we're at. Before we get to that, and we've got a lot of questions to, to answer here from some from our loyal listeners, hashtag AskAP, and a lot of them are around the 11 and who should play where. I'm going to get to that in a second. I do think we need to address quickly the method behind John Herdman's decisions here. Now, they went from the Rose Bowl to Denver, Colorado at altitude. They lost luggage on, on, the, on, the, on the flight. They went to practice on a field that had lacrosse paintings on, so they had to cancel training. Then they went to practice another day and the sprinklers came on, so they had to get off the field at that point. Then they went to practice another day that was cut short from a tornado. So that was the, the, and plus they played Sunday and Wednesday. Yeah. Now Sunday, Wednesday, I'm talking to a man who spent his entire career playing Sunday, Wednesday. <laughs> so I'm not asking you to have any sympathy for players playing Sunday, Wednesday, yeah. but they're playing again. Um, sorry, Saturday, Saturday Wednesday. Is, yeah. They're playing against Sunday this week. So it's three games in eight days. Yeah. Then they're playing, if they play Saturday, they might be playing Tuesday again. Yeah. So there's a lot to, to factor in here. Now I bring that for a reason because he's a tournament coach and I know he's thought about this. Do you think he would have thought if I play my best team against Mexico, now regardless, he's saying what he wants, he wants to play them in the semifinals. Forget, yeah. forget that for a second. If he played his best team against Mexico and they lost 3-1 last night, same outcome. And a lot of those players were tired. Then he went into Cuba and he won the game 1-0, 2-0 with Will Johnson playing and Ty Burton and some others. And he was like, Ugh, it was okay. Yeah. What kind of momentum are you going into in that quarterfinal? Yeah. So now maybe the, the positive loss allows them to now swing the momentum tide again and again okay let's trend in a different direction all the best players coming back for Cuba Martinique smashed them the captain's already defected they're a shambles yeah. so we're going to go um, they should beat them comprehensively with the best team and then although I don't know whether a T-Bro play let me play yeah. again but when the majority of the best players and then you're ready for a quarterfinal yeah. do you understand where I'm going with I the do. momentum I do and you know, we won't know until the end. Mm. Hindsight's just... Yes. You know, but the, I do the, think that's one of the reasons why yeah. he went that way. Do you oh, know what I mean? Why he picked those players now rather than against Cuba. There's not a whim through any of this. No. There's not like, you know, just, uh, oh, try this and see. This is methodical. This man is methodical. He thinks about everything. There's a reason why he does things, which is what I love about him. That's that's the first thing that's, that's important in a coach. You know, that there has to be a reason. A, because it's clarity for your players. You can explain it really quickly. If you have anyone want to question that, you have your answer, you're ready. Mm-hmm. And that, that allows, you know, everyone to realise that you're a leader. And, and and B, when you when you have a reason, at, at least you can fall back on process. At least you can say, we were always going to do this. We had this plan and we failed, but that was the plan. Mm-hmm. And that was weeks and weeks These of preparation. These were my reasonings behind it. Yes, yes. it's not and nothing's by uh, off the cuff or, or, or by chance. So I definitely think there, there will be a reason. I just think that there's uh, a lot of quality and a lot of similarity in this squad. And so 
I think you could have went into Denver and played a, a, a stronger team if you wanted and then played some lesser guys against Cuba. And I still think you're the one 5 0. Right. You know, I still think that the, the, there's not a lot to pick between Hoylett and, and David and uh, maybe Laren and, and Cavallini and, and Osorio or Mark Anthony Kay. You know, there's, there's a number of players that are more than capable of stepping up and, and doing a job for this team. Godinho did well in the first game. He, you know, Godinho and Broguiard, there's a little battle going on there. Uh, you could have gave Crapo a game if you wanted instead of Borian, who made some terrific saves last night. So with that in mind, the the question was probably second or third game did I make changes? I do really believe he wanted to make the changes specifically against Mexico for the reasons that we said. Yeah. And I don't think that... I, I think he had a feeling that the 5-4-1, the, 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 the 3-4-3 would have worked against Mexico. I think he has his answer now. And I think that that's a big thing for John. I think that the clarity will be there with him. He's not a man who ponders. When he gets his answer, he realises it. He moves on. There's no doubt if, if Canada can play Mexico in the semi-final. It's 4-3-3 and the stuff that he'll have learned in that second game will stand them in great stead for that match. Well, you just answered Jeff who says, if uh, Canada and Mexico meet in the semis, what formation do you use and who is in the starting 11? Tyler asks, do you think we will see a lineup of Cavallini, David and Hoylet up front with Davies making the switch to left back to help clean up the back line a bit? Well, because we're football nuts, we've already talked about this because we were chatting about it ourselves when you saw me this morning. Your first question to me was, what's your best 11 yeah. and we went over it we have a very similar one so let's get into this our best 11 right now and then we're going to get into a couple of players on this Milan Boyan is the goalkeeper yes um, Brogiard is the right back yes, yes. our centre backs are Daniil Henry and Derek Cornelius yes our left back and you can save the hate in a second. We'll get to it. Why? <laughs> Our left back is Alfonso, Alfonso Davies. Davies. At central midfield, uh, the base of central midfield is Atiba, Atiba Hutchinson. Hutchinson. Our midfield is Scott Arfield. Then the other one is either Jonathan Azorio <laughs> or Mark Anthony Kay, which yeah. we'll talk about in a second. And we have a front three of Jonathan David, Lucas Cavallini, and Jonathan uh, and Junior Hoylet. Yeah. That's what we think is the best team. Yes. And up top to John Herdman to pick. Mark Anthony Kay or Jonathan Azorio in that position. But I yeah. think it's debatable. And I think we've seen enough from Kay to say that it, I like him in midfield. I think he was very good for 45 minutes. Maybe drifted out, but he brings balance. I like left-footed players. Yeah. I like players that open up the game. And when you have left-footed players, I think it, it just doesn't get, it doesn't get as narrow. And I think he brings a bit more power than Azorio. I feel for Jonathan because Azorio, because I feel like he's, at his club level and his international level right now, he is not being, his profile of player is confusing his managers and yeah. maybe his versatility is hurting him a lot. We've talked about this with Toronto FC a little bit. Again, out wide in a front three, late in the game against Mexico. I mean, what can you do in a front yeah. three out wide? It's of a course. difficult one. Um, so that is our, what we think is the best yeah. 11 going forward. Yeah, I think that, when you say it like that, I think Mark Anthony Kay has to start in that scenario, especially against a, a team who are better than you. You have that thrust, that power, that defensive ability, mm -hmm. and you have Azorio to come off the bench. What a great substitute to bring on to, to the pitch. A, if you're looking for a goal, or B, if you're maybe taking off one of the, 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 the wide left, for example, the forward guy, Jonathan David, or Junior Hoylett, and Azorio can come more into a midfield shape, yes. be more of a 4-5-1 and, and solid to, to break down. But, you know, we 
I got a lot of stick uh, during the broadcast last night. I've I've said it consistently. I'll stick to it. I, is this your? Uh, do you get stick on before I interrupt? I don't know. Is, yeah. it, is this Alfonso? Yeah. Okay. So you got a lot of stick from yeah. people on Twitter, did you? Yes. Okay. There's a lot of people out there who don't believe this is the right thing. There's a lot of people in the media who cover this team who don't believe it's the right yeah. thing. So before we get into why we think it's the right thing, mm-hmm. I'm often thinking when we might not be right. We both agree here, but yeah. we're both considerably in the minority. So what are the other people thinking? Are they seeing things like last night? Maybe we'll bring you in here, Shawnee. Last night with the goal, people picked on that right away and go, that's another example about why you shouldn't play left back. So do you think that they are seeing it because of his defensive issues or because they want him further higher higher up the pitch or maybe both I, th- I think maybe both I think they want him higher up the pitch because they feel he can have a, a larger impact for the Canadian national team in that position and I can certainly understand that point of view but I'm not making this decision on just Alfonso with Canada I'm making this decision on Alfonso Davies the, the, the greatest prospect of Canadian soccer football for however many years. And and the reason that I make this is that I think he's somewhere close to his ceiling in a wide area. I don't think he's going to get a lot better as a left winger. And I think that he has the potential to be really, really good, potentially world-class as a left-back if he's given the coach in and if he gets a bit consistent with that position and if he wants to become a regular with Bayern Munich, to me, it's going to have to be in the left-back role. So with that in mind and with the fact that Canada don't have a left-back... Uh, Mark Anthony K is asked to play there, and I think Alfonso Davies' profile fits that way better than Mark Anthony K with his athleticism. I think that Alfonso Davies should play left back for Canada. I think we've got great wingers: Junior Hoylett, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies. Three fantastic wide guys. One of them is going to have to miss out if you play Alfonso higher. Just drop him back, bring in Jonathan David, and all of a sudden you've got a, a great left hand side there. And I'm I'm consistent with that. I'll never change. I know he made the mistake for the goal, and of course I gave him the curse of death again because I said that he was he, he, it was the right thing to put him back to left back. But it wasn't I think, just his fault, by the way. No, it wasn't. It wasn't just his fault, and it and and Canada were pushing at that time as well as he should have been, and so he was a little bit vulnerable. But he needs to learn more and more how to be a defender to, to think like a defender who goes forward and he'll learn that at one of the best clubs in the world they will almost certainly try and convert the lad into a left back and if he wants to take that on he wants to listen I think it has great potential to be an outstanding left back I'm in your camp and I want to pick up on something you just said there in a second but Shawnee where are you? I'm still undecided right now. Um, I think for the future, I think it makes the most sense. But right now, if you look at that back line, you have a 19-year-old, a 21-year-old, and a 20-year-old, and like uh, Guillard, Cornelius, and Davies. And yeah. that just that scares me, especially when you're putting Davies, who isn't, once again, a defense-first yeah. player. You've got so many holes in there. That scares me. But once again, he has speed. that can. But do you feel much better with Kay there? I mean, he's not got a lot of experience playing as a defender. No, he doesn't. But I think that he he can steady the ship. And I think the more experience you have in this moment, once again, this is not about this moment. This is a, a journey with this team and you're looking to World Cup. So if you have a couple of years under your belt, I get it. It just, it it would be, I would be worried playing a very, very, like it was tough yesterday watching those guys try to play the ball from the back. And just to add another young mind back there, it could, it could break confidence in a back line. 
Mm. And so that's that's my only take because I believe that Davies needs more space and starting farther back down the pitch and running at players creates more opportunity for him to be effective. I like him in a left back and I think the modern day left back, the modern day fullback can have almost as much as an impact going forward than they can as a winger. Yeah. I think you can get more touches in the game than you can as a winger. You can definitely be involved in the buildup of the play a little bit more as a winger, particularly in a profile of a game like last night. So let's take Gallardo. We just talked about him before, the left back from Mexico, who took over the game, yeah. right? Was one of the best players playing left back, okay? Now, he is committed to playing in that position. This is the next step. Is Alfonso Davies committed to playing in the left, left back position? Or, and I don't know this, but is he is he spitting his dummy out when he's yeah. asked to play there? Does he believe completely that he doesn't, want to ever play there and he only wants to play wide because if that's the case that's the answer yeah no matter what we say doesn't matter if he doesn't want to play there and if we're seeing a drop in mental strength and attitude when he goes to play there that's a problem but i agree with you ceiling is important i've compared him on the tsm broadcast the last two broadcasts let's compare him to wide players of his age, okay? And I've talked about Vinicius Jr. I've talked about Rodrigo, who Real Madrid just signed, Jaden Sancho, Kai Havertz, players like that, yeah. Jao Felix, okay? He is not close no. to those players. And I'm, that's not a criticism. That's just a fact. He's not close to those players. Those players are going for 50 to 100 to 150 and eventually. Yeah. That's how they, Alfonso Davies was bought as a project for 15 to 20 million by Bayern Munich. And... Do I believe next year that Bayern Munich are going to turn him into a left winger and he's going to play as much as they're playing? No, I don't. No. So what's the best way of getting in minutes? I think it's that. And I think if he commits to the project at this age, in three or four years' time, he could be a world-class left back. Yeah. I really do. A so world-class left back if he commits to the project. If he doesn't, he's going to have a great career anyway. He's going to have a fine career, but he doesn't. I don't think he's got that finishing product that the other players have. No. It could work on it, but I don't. I just don't think he's got that in his game. And I also think he, a lot of his game is on instinct and it can and, and, and speed. And that from deep area is, a, is can be a strength of his as well. It's it's almost a playmaker in the modern game, the it fullback, is. isn't it? We saw Gerardo run the match from fullback. We talked about Ashley Lawrence earlier in this We've podcast. We talked a lot about Robertson on this yes, podcast. Uh, Robertson and, and Trent, Alexander-Arnold. Exactly. These guys are... These modern fullbacks play everywhere. They come infield and, and, and they, they go down the channel. They put crosses in. They do absolutely everything. So it's it's no slight to say. It's not like before we're like the sort of... The, the, the least technical player went into fullback exactly, and he was asked yeah. to clip it down the channel and put in the odd cross and, you know, de defend diagonals in the air. It's not like that anymore, is yeah, it? Yeah, the old adage, what position do you play left back in the changing room? You know, <laughs> like, you know like you're the, you're the last guy I'll go on that will stick you in the fullback yeah. position. No. And, and Guardo was just about as influential inside the field as he was, he was yeah. in the wide areas. The, the number of times he picked up the ball in that just inside left channel and looked so dangerous. That... that <laughs> Alfonso Davies has to learn that that what has what he know himself better than anybody else basically. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so he has to realize like there's not, there's nothing like looking at a mirror and, and and knowing where your ceiling is. I've had it. Every player in the world's had it. You hit a game, you're like, Ugh, I'm actually I'm at about my maximum here, you know. And and that that is a a very humbling moment for you, KJ, as a player. You just think, okay. Right now, I'm going to have to use my smarts and use other parts of my game to survive here, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think he's he's somewhere around about that for Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. 
in wing in a wing area at the moment and against the top teams in CONCACAF Gold Cup World Cup qualifiers however far Canada can go I think that'll be the same now I think he can develop his skills to be comfortable and confident and dominating in left back for, for both the teams I really do I really believe in him I've felt that from one of the first times I've seen him play when he played wing under Carl Robinson in Vancouver where he, he, he never shirt working back he was always good in the tackle he was strong for a 15, 16 year old I always thought wow can you imagine if you can bring some tactical defensive nows to this game mm. you've got an outstanding player there and I still believe that and I still think he'll make mistakes if that happens for the next year or two and people will always gripe up he should have been a winger this or that but I firmly believe that wants to take a little bit of time and they teach this guy how to play from that defensive position, he could be world class. I agree. And I think the final point on this is that we are profiling him in a very, very yes. top class team. A top class team. So like if he wants to go have a great career and be a winger and play, you know, in in the Bundesliga for many years to come and, and you know, have a great career and go play go score goals for Stuttgart or whoever yeah. you want. You know what I mean? You know, but if you want to be that top level what I always class as being a UEFA Champions League caliber player, then I, that that's what I think yeah. is, is his next step for him. Um, before we move on to Shawnee and his headlines, uh, Papa C4 asks, what can Canada do to solve its back line, grow with the players they have, or focus on recruit, um, recruiting dual nationals? Um, well, last week we talked about going out to Tamori's apartment in London, <laughs> uh, but Tamori right now is at He's the under-21s. He's at the under-21s. So hopefully you people out there, big fans of the show, who went to his apartment and sung out Canada, hopefully you've moved over to Italy and you're currently underneath his hotel and you're maybe going down, I don't know, you know, maybe singing out uh, Oh Canada in Italy right now with a pizza or something. That would be nice. But Tamori getting closer and closer to England, yeah. uh, which is breaking Oh Canada's hearts. Breaking our hearts. Yes. Um, but yeah, how can they do the back line? Well, we're just going to have to see what the next crop of generational players come I mean, yeah. in 10 years Will Caldwell will be playing centre back for that, I hope so <laughs> yeah he could actually Robbie got a Canadian national team jersey for his birthday Did yesterday he? oh brilliant yeah, stunning red jersey the Nike it looks fantastic wow yeah so he was wearing that to his birthday dinner last night glad you got pictures because he always told me he was playing for Scotland when he, was old, so. <laughs> he changed after that Argentina game I Did think he, he realised he was always going to be a loser oh there you go good stuff um, alright Shawnee let's get over to you for some headlines yeah let's move through these pretty quick we went a little long on the first but uh let's do this uh, matthias delict and his advisors are said to have rejected the latest offer from fc barcelona um with uh, bayern munich as the possible move for him uh where do you expect the hottest center back prospect to land mm. and for how much money um, rumors of his mom and his girlfriend shopping for a house in Paris. Okay. So PSG would be pretty good for him. Uh, reported £340,000 a week. Crazy. Um, at that point. But Delict, we talk about Alfonso Davies and some of the teenagers. Uh, this is without question the greatest teenager in world football right now. And um, interesting, by the way, about uh, Eric Abadal, who's now the director of Barcelona, posted on Instagram last week um, a quote from Johan Cruyff when he said something along the lines, I'll paraphrase here, but he said something along the if you're not quite sure about Barcelona, then we're definitely sure it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, I um, love it. And then yeah. um, he was uh, later asked about that and said that he got hacked. 
took <laughs> down the post. So Eric Abadal went old Kevin Durant or something. So. If you get hacked, I wonder why you'd be so posting subliminal that. with your message. You wouldn't be posting. You, if you yeah. got hacked, you wouldn't be posting Johan Cruyff quotes. What I mean? <laughs> it would have been a bit more abrupt, would it not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Abadal's uh, subtle message uh, through his hacked Instagram to delete <laughs> saying, if you're thinking about coming here, you get, we need to know. <laughs> this, uh, th- this guy should not be thinking about salary. Um, he's going to get paid way over £150,000 a week. So he shouldn't be thinking about the 300, 400 plus. He'll be writing his own checks in four or five years time. A club will be saying to him, you just tell us what you want in your bank account a month and we'll put it there. Mm-hmm. Um, he should be thinking about the best destination and the best destination for him has the league connected to it. I'm sorry, he needs to go to Spain, he needs to go to England. Mm. No doubt about it. Paris, Juventus, Bayern Munich, wrong choice. Even if he wins Champions Leagues, he'll canter to the league every single year. Not good enough for me, KJ. Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United. That should be his options. Moving on to Manchester United, uh, it's time for us to maybe take a little uh, hatchet to the to them. They've re-signed <laughs> Not one. again. Yeah. <laughs> they keep doing it. Uh, but no, they re-signed Juan Mata, who's an okay player. <laughs> um, but uh, a two-year extension for the 31-year-old maestro. Um, what should his role be for the club over the next two years? And what is his club, uh, sorry, his role for the club over the next two years? I think it's what it's been the last two years. I think he's more of a, a peripheral squad player who can come in. He's versatile. The one thing about Matter is that everyone says is that he's just an unbelievable guy. Yeah. Like a class act. And uh, let's be honest, there's a there's, there's, there's I was going to use a word, I won't use it. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of idiots in football who aren't quite class guys. So when you've got good people yeah. and you're trying to build a foundation of a club that's gone a little bit out of that, I think this is important. Regardless of what he's done on the field, he's a good guy. He can he can make an impact. He's the kind of player who can, no disrespect to matter, but he's the kind of player who can who can get a hat-trick against Villa next year in yeah. the Premier League and win a game for yeah. them easily. Yeah. You know, those kind of teams. If, if you're building for the future and you're thinking solely about how we're going to be this Champions League winning team in four or five years, then it's not he's not the play for you. But right now, through murky waters, you've, you need him on your ship. I, I definitely believe that. I think it's a, a good signing by Manchester United. He's a great character. What you you see is what you get with one matter. You know what's going to come. One hundred percent effort, great technical quality. You know he's lacking in certain areas to be truly dynamic and one of the top teams in the Premier League. But I think this is smart for Manchester United. I just think with everyone expecting the the big signings that they're hoping come, this is very underwhelming. So. Maybe I would question the the announcement. I probably would have just kept it in my back pocket until I could I could bring it on the back of something a little bit bigger if I was Manchester United. But these things often get leaked. Someone speaks to somebody. But, you know, why would you lose good people? Yeah, exactly. You're, you're a club trying to really create culture again. And he's a winner. He's won things his whole career. So good move. Keep him on board. Yeah, look, they're going to get Juan Bissaka for 50 million as well. So, I mean, that's yeah. the kind of guy yeah. you like, you've got Juan Bissaka and you sing changer and you got, okay, well, Juan Matas here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just watch what Juan what, what Matas doing. So. Fair enough. Uh, moving on, Francesco Totti is leaving Roma uh, after 30 years and he says it feels like dying after he resigned <laughs> from his role as director at the Serie A club. 
Uh, is move is the club moving forward without uh, Totio De Rossi involved uh, a hindrance to the team, or is it a step in a direction that they need to go? No, it's a bit of a shambles, to be honest, isn't it? I mean, Totti took a swipe at the the. I love I love it. It felt like the movie The Americans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I mean? the, it's like the mob, the Americans. He took a swipe at. Um, that actually reminds me of another thing we, we we could have talked about in terms of the whole celebrations that woke up, but maybe we won't go there. Um, the the Americans again, uh, which I think was a little bit a little bit hard by some people but anyway Totti leaving Roma I have to say I never thought I saw the day no never thought I'd see the day I think you and I are pretty consistent on this you got a guy like that who quite Don't frankly good people. bleeds bleeds the red of Rome or whatever the colour is you know it's you just don't let him go do you no you it's don't disaster. you don't lose good people it's, it is a disaster and um shame on on Roma for allowing that to happen and the powers that be but right, he's he'll be back there someday, won't he? It's yeah. just the case uh, the the ownership at the time just you know not respecting or or appreciating what he brings, and he, you know nobody's more than the football club, but Totti comes pretty close. You know he yeah. is Roma. When we think of Roma, we think of Roma for fifteen twenty years. We think of uh, Totti, and so. It's disappointing, but I expect them to be back at some time in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, like we talked about earlier about being uncomfortable with VAR. What was uncomfortable for me was like seeing on my Twitter timeline a statement from Roma on Twitter saying that Totti got things wrong and didn't understand things and the miscommunication. And I'm just like, is this what it's come to? Like, it's, I don't know. It's just bad mouth in each other. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Leicester City and Manchester United were reportedly 40 million apart in the valuation of England defender Harry Maguire with the Fox pricing him at 80 million. Uh, what is the uh, price point right now for Harry Maguire? I'd go with 40. What about you? I wouldn't pay anywhere near 80. I'd, I'd maybe pay 55, 60 max. We know that England players always have a far yeah. higher. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that because yeah. of the 17 plus 8 rule and obviously the homegrown players and the rules that they, they can take. But uh, And we have to look at past England players going for an extortionate amount of money, like Danny Drinkwater, like 35 million for yeah. basically drinking water. <laughs> um, but Well, he wasn't drinking water. Well, yeah, he, 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 actually got done, he actually got done for drinking, not water. Uh, but, you know, there's so many of those examples. You know, Stones went for a lot of money, yeah. although, you know, we talked a bit about Stones and his, his lack of development lately. I don't know. I just think Harry Maguire for 80 million. That's crazy, isn't it? Come on. I mean, he's a borderline international slash Champions League player for me. Is he much better? I don't mean much better than Smalling. I don't know. I, I would like to see him make that step up and to see how he develops. Right. I, I believe there's 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 two men that, that, two clubs, two men that could or should do that. Pep Guardiola and, and Mauricio Pochettino. I think that's the place that I, if I was Harry Maguire's agent, I'd like to see him go to see what they can bring in his game to take him on a level or two. Because mm. I, I, I think there is a potential there for that. But I, I just think 80 million is ridiculous for Harry Maguire. It's, um, it, it's too much money. I don't think he's worth that. But English players cost that. And it's, it's whether one of these guys believe in him. But... I wouldn't like to see him go to Manchester United. That's a wrong move for Harry Maguire at the moment. Tottenham are closing in on Leon midfielder uh, Tangay Ndebele. Uh, do you think this is a step forward for the Champions League runners-up? Yes. Terrific player. If they get him, I think that's the kind of player they need. Yeah. He's the player that will bring strength and power to the midfield. And... You know the the player that other big clubs have been looking at. The kind they've always I always say go get the 
good players and make them very good. Go get the very good players and make them great. Yeah. And that's what Pochettino can do. So whether it's Ndombele or there was rumors of Lo Celso, those kind of players that you know, you're getting them at a good young age, that already got some Champions League experience, can carry you through, give you the squad depth. I know there's always be the, the scary... Um, uh, you know issues about okay what, what what's happened with some players coming from France in the past and with, yeah. you know with the Chelsea and what's gone on there but I don't know I think it'd be a really good signing what do you think yeah great signing sign him he's uh he's got immense potential uh but he, he's at a level at the moment that will make them considerably better mm. immediately and then the upside is that if if Pochettino works his magic and 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 he really makes them better then you could have you know a world truly world class central midfield player on your book so I would I would certainly sign him if I was Tottenham Hotspur and obviously I was referring to Bakayoko there but what I mean is he's also got that great name hasn't he you know like for a commentator when he goes in and Dombele it would be amazing no I love those names Get it in. Uh, Cavalry FC are on the cusp of clinching the spring season in the Canadian Premier League this weekend as they take on Forge FC uh, Cavalry are now sitting 7-0-0 uh, 13 goals for, three goals against. With a blink of an eye, the spring season could be over. Is 10 games too sh- too short of a season? Yeah, I mean, we covered this at the start. There's not a lot you can take from it, although it's clear that they're the class right now. Yeah. I was talking to Terry Dunfield, who did the game uh, recently about them, and you know they're just on another level right now. And every credit, they've got everything right, the coaching, recruitment, uh, with all that. So... I understand why they did this because they wanted to have a big moment for July 1st and then start another momentum going forward. And I think it was important maybe to reward a team like this who were clearly ahead of the game with a lot of other teams. So, you know, 10 game season, yeah, around the world, people would laugh at that and see it's a bit farcical. But I, I, I think there was so much talk about this league coming in. To be fair, there's a lot more talk about it before it actually kicked off than there has been since. Yeah. Um, which is a little bit of alarming. But... They need to be rewarded. They were miles ahead of many teams and there's the reward. Now they could go on and win the next one again. And then the, then you open up the argument about why are we having a final? Because, you know, that's another argument itself, a playoff segment. But um, I, I don't have a problem with this. No, I mean, it tends to short, but I understand why they do it. And um, I mean, I, I mean... I'm excited for there to be a little bit of break and hopefully the CPL can can take stock of what happened in the first games, positives, negatives, and how they can develop and take the league forward in the next 17. So in that regard, I, I think about being so short might not be such a negative thing, but a 10-game season is... I feel like we just started and I'm like, oh, it's finishing already because we've not been in, on top of this so much, KJ and I, with our other commitments... <coughs> Um, we're, we're just sort of seeing it, uh, you know, and it's nearly done. So, I mean, that's not down to the fact that we didn't want to. It's no. just down to the fact that we talk well, about what we want. We talk about what we know. Yeah. And we only can... Can't cov- watch it. We can we're cover... Or- we're covering what we're covering. Yeah. And we, you know, we've certainly, you know, without patting ourselves on the back, we don't get this far in our career at TSN to talk about things we don't know about. Yeah. You got to yeah, put the work in. We've got, you know, it's not just the broadcast we do. So Absolutely. it's not, no disrespect it's to not by choice, It's not by it's choice. It's just by the it's fact just that by we, consequence we don't work on this league. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I, what I am excited about, and it's a little bit to do with CPL, is, is Cavalry against Whitecaps. Because there you have the best team in CPL against, in my opinion, probably the worst Canadian team in MLS. And so let's see how big that gap is and how far that has to go to be to be bridged in the Canadian Championship. That that might be an exciting couple of games that are coming up in the not-so-distant future. 
Perfect. Uh, moving on to Ask AFP. We've got a few questions today. Obviously, we, we mentioned some in the uh, the game segment, but let's uh, move forward. Peter asks, Wasari announced today at Juventus, uh, is it Champions League or bust? And how long does Chelsea uh, take to name a predecessor? Wow. Yeah, Sari was announced today. I have to share the story. Um, so Sari gets up on his shirt and tie, and you know that you don't see that very often, you know? So um, uh, he was asked how he would dress on the touchline as his Juve manager. And he said, I'll have to talk to the club. He said with a smile, obviously when representing the club away from the field, I'll wear what they tell me. And I prefer not to wear a shirt and tie on the pitch. But the important thing is that they don't send me out there naked at my age. (laughs) (laughs) What a man. He's a cracker. He's great, isn't he? Uh, But this is a very un-Juve hire, which might be a good thing. Um, they are under immense pressure to keep winning, which is very difficult. They have failed in the Champions League over the last few years. And um, don't look now, but here comes Conte and Inter Milan and it's a big train coming fast, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, big time. Yeah, there's there's a lot of pressure on him here as there has been at Chelsea, but yeah. what a likeable guy, isn't he? He's Someone right. that we just root for. And I just, I love how the whole thing panned out at Chelsea I really do because I got to be honest that club does infuriate me a lot at times I agree. and you know I, I see a guy come in with such a great reputation and I blame the English media as well for part of this but he comes into Chelsea he starts brilliant they're just desperate waiting on something going wrong waiting on his signings having some bad times and they're right on top of him and and you know every little incident I know there was a few reasonably serious ones but they're right on top of it and they're they're on sorry and they're not happy that he smokes and that he doesn't speak very good English and that he wears his tracks out on the sideline and they're on this guy and he finishes third and he loses to the, the best team in English football history in the League Cup final and penalty kicks and he uh, he wins the Europa League and he just sort of bites his lips through the whole thing and he you know he gets by and then he gets this golden carrot of the best team in Serie A the country where he lives, where he loves, and he gets to go back and he yeah. gets to, you know what, to the, the Chelsea hierarchy yeah. and say, bye, see you later, yeah. I'm gone, you deal with your mess and get one of your ex-players who's managed about 30 times in his life <laughs> and see how he gets on within yeah. this circus, you know, so I'm, I'm delighted for him, I'm, I'm I'm glad it ended like this for Sarri. I'm delighted for him too, I couldn't put it any better and it is a circus and the recruitment's been a disaster over the last two or three years. They've got players who flit it in and out of seasons, not just games, um, <laughs> You know, that's what they do. They're the ultimate boom and boss team. And um, to answer Peter's final question, how long does it take Chelsea to name a predecessor? Well, this is the same club that wanted to sack Antonio Conte last season at the end of the year and allowed him to come back and start pre-season. <laughs> so who knows what they're going to do. And uh, if the inevitable comes up that they get Frank, good luck with that. Yeah, right. tough, 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 tough. tough. Yeah. And Villa just extended John Terry. So make sure that he doesn't go. Is that right? Uh, Good. To get him an extended. Well, well, probably isn't worth the paper it's written <laughs> yeah. on. Exactly. Um, but I wasn't sure. Um, you know, can't confirm or deny the rumor that Terry lifted a cup when he was given a new contract. <laughs> <laughs> Got uh, in his kit and lifted the cup. <laughs> exactly. uh, Jorge asks, uh, who will be Canada's great next star once Christine Sinclair decides to retire? Oh, in the women's game. Obviously. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Janine Becky. Yeah. Becky. Jordan Heitemer. Yeah. Choices. Uh, Becky probably, no? Yeah, I think maybe Becky. I mean, you think Heitemer because of the same profile as, as Sinclair, but I think Becky's more primed to, to potentially be that in, in the, the immediate uh, replacement to Sinclair. Lawrence, maybe? In I like form. Fleming. She's a yeah, terrific she's player. Good. Yeah. Terrific player, but so, the team has to be good. 
Yeah. And that doesn't say anything. I'm not having a go at her, but I feel like she's in a, in a very good team. She could be exceptional. Yeah. But in a team that doesn't necessarily move enough or, or doesn't, she sees things other players don't see. Yeah. And I think that she needs better players around her a little bit. So I think in a, in a top class team, she could be a, a, a real star. Yeah. She's excellent. Someone's, someone's got the opportunity to take over the leadership of this team. Uh, when Sinclair moves on, and I think that there's there's three or four candidates there. Uh, Davey asks, what is the main cause of attendance problems at the Gold Cup in Copa America, and how could it or should it be resolved? Well, the Gold Cup is down to the fact that they want them in big stadiums to counter, to, to help get fill the stadiums for Mexico. I don't think it's been too bad at the Gold Cup. Copa America is another story we'll get to in a second. Gold Cup's not been bad. Mexico have had 60,000. Um, I think both times, yeah. maybe. Um, they've averaged 58,000 in, in all the US games I've played since Tata Martino right. came in before last night's game. Right. Wow. So that tells you what kind of support they get everywhere in the US. That's true. And the United States played in Minnesota, so not in a, not a, 20, in, not an NFL stadium. Sold out, so it was but, pretty clever. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think it's okay. Look, the prices are another thing. They're quite high. Copa America has been a disaster. And when Brazil play, obviously they're okay. Messi, they played against Paraguay 1-1. Um, we saw a game that game last night. But some of the other games, I was watching Uruguay on Sunday. Um, the, there was nobody there, hardly anybody yeah. there. Another game we were on Saturday, what was the game, Peru? Yeah. Nobody there. Yeah, yeah. So, Peru, Venezuela, was it? But I, I do think that I think so. there's an element of burnout here. Yeah. Okay. Like Copa America is one of the greatest international tournaments. And we it's just too many tournaments. Let these players go on holidays, <laughs> please. You know what I mean? We got Copa America again next year. Yeah. They're coming back. And then like we've had Copa America before that and then World Cup qualifiers. These players are playing all the time. They're exhausted. The teams are exhausted. And I think fans have had enough yeah you know like it's just it's just too much it's almost like you're making a, a exhibition games out of the Copa America yeah, and know. that in itself is such a tragedy because these guys are are, are, are playing with the, the fumes that they have running through their bodies you know in fairness yeah. to them they're, they're I'm sure very proud to be representing their country but it looks like they're playing with a handbrake on because they're so tired and that's the big issue and, and uh, prices you know Prices are a problem. They're, they're they're too expensive. They need to, we need to revitalize the, the the game of of football in most regions, and we need to do that by making it affordable for families and kids to come and watch the football. So, you know, it's became a, a real serious business football. But let's get people in the stands and let's get that passion and that you know um, fervor back within the game, and and not just think about you know. X amount of dollars per head who's going to be in a stadium it's, it's such a North American mindset but I just would like to see it become more about uh, getting to realise a kid's dream and, and see a player that he idolises yeah and that's what's Copa America used to be about the, the speed of yeah. the World Cup qualifying games the speed of these South American games you watch it it's like he's from a different planet yeah, the way I know. Watch. and now I'm watching it and my overriding thought is that internationally the game is way behind the club level. Yeah. At the top level in, in in Europe, the Champions League, the Premier League, La Liga, 
tactically, tempo-wise, the, the Copa America looks slow, ponderous, too many fouls, loads of stoppages, slow, t- tired too players, negative, too negative. Um, Deep behind the ball, yeah. have to break the, you know, the best team has to break down the other team it's, and I mean, there's a, no space. It's a consequence, I guess, of players just coming together quickly for a quick tournament and manage yeah. to get the best out of them, but it's, uh, it's not a good product, no doubt. Uh, following up on that, John asks, do you think you'll ever see a time where CONCACAF and Commebol combine to form one confederation or just a tournament? Um, I don't think they'll ever combine to form a confederation, but I'd never rule out a tournament. The problem that you've got here is that they're incredible vast majority. The, the, the distances between these places are yeah. absolutely enormous. Of course. Like enormous. Like you think about going like from Vancouver all the way to Rio or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but I would never rule out the tournament because a lot of it comes down to money. And right now, the giants of CONCACAF, and Tata Martino was asked this in his press conference, and he didn't say, he didn't, he didn't want to get into it because he doesn't want to be controversial right now. Mexico got a problem because if all they do between World Cup years is play games in CONCACAF, they're not getting tested enough. No, I know. So they need to make a decision. You know, they need to make it. It's not good for them to smash teams every time in World Cup qualifiers or Gold Cups. No. And what we're seeing right now is Mexico, with a lot of great players not there, are miles above everybody yeah. else. Yeah, and, and so many at home, like you yeah. said, KJ, with, with injuries or, or uh, you know, whatever reasons you think of uh, Vela and Lozano and Chicharito and guys that would certainly be in that squad. Um, why why can we not, you know, we've got 10 teams in Conmebol and they're inviting Japan and Qatar, and I think it's Qatar and uh, or Qatar. They call them Qatar now, eh? Yeah. I call them Qatar. Yeah, is that okay? Still, of course, it's fine, okay. mate. Yeah, Qatar <laughs> and uh, and Australia next year. You right. know, so why not invite the six best teams in Concacaf? Right, and then you've got a sixteen-team tournament. Mm-hmm. Call it Copa America, whatever you want to call it. Come up with a new name. And there's a bit of competition there. Great competition for CONCACAF. Yeah. Mexico and US are going to be absolutely delighted. Yeah. Um, you know, it maybe brings in the revenue of Mexico and US to uh, Copa America, Comebol competition. And you've got the Canadas, Honduras, Jamaica, Costa Rica, everyone fighting out Trinidad and Tobago to try and be the two other nations in that tournament, right. four other nations in that tournament. Right. Be awesome, you know, but I'd, they keep going out with. Why? Money. Money. Because they pay the money. They want to be there. Qatar's got money? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> Are we done, Shawnee? We're all done. All right. Thank you for that. Great stuff. And a reminder, always submit your hashtag AskAFP. We read them all and try and get them on as much as we can. Uh, we also re- uh, want you to rate and review. And our review of the week comes from Pascal, who said, I look forward to this podcast, podcast every week. Always love to hear KJ and Stephen's thoughts on current soccer news and events. They are very fun to listen to. Highly recommended. Thank you so much, Pascal. And for all you listeners out there, make sure you rate and review the podcast if you can. Uh, we could give you a shout out on the podcast that's it for this week we'll be back next week on the Wednesday the 26th following the game at BMO Field between Toronto FC and Atlanta we'll chat about Canada in the World Cup maybe VAR maybe not Um, let's hope not right Uh, the Gold Cup MLS is obviously back in action so thanks again to Dylan to Clay to Shawnee everyone involved thanks for listening to a football podcast